TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Thursday, December 21st edition of the program. Again, we are having our show this week through Friday, and then we will be off next week for Christmas, and we will be off on New Year's Day as well. We are scheduled to return on January 2nd. We'll have a show then, but again, we'll have a show today. Obviously, we're talking now. And uh, we will have a show tomorrow, then take a break for the holidays. Philip Pilkington producing today. Kaysen Ramaley in studio. We will talk East Carolina basketball. The Pirates get a big win over Delaware State. We also have coverage coming up at 1 o'clock. Scott Rogers and Rob Maloney will be on the call from Menji's Coliseum as the women's basketball team takes on Charleston Southern. We will talk to Scott and Coach Maloney at around 12.30 and get their take on the upcoming game today inside Menji's. Pirate women looking for another win. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Big news on the football front will lead with Damon Magazoo is coming home, the East Carolina former all-conference safety, one of the best DBs really in, in recent ECU history, maybe all-time ECU history, is coming back home as it's uh, great to see Mags get the job. He is going to be the safeties coach at East Carolina. We uh, put that news out here shortly before coming on the air. He will take the job of Trip Weaver, who is uh, now the defensive coordinator at Austin P. So Damon Magazoo coming home. We'll have more on that on hoistacolors.net. Already a lot of former players weighing in that played with him. Shane Carden, even Kurt Benkert. Uh, very excited to see that. Zeke Bigger. So that news going viral over social media. A lot of excitement there. And an alum coming back to Coach ECU Safety Room. He's been at UNLV the past four years. UNLV will play in a bowl game December 26th. He will coach in that bowl game, from what I'm told, and then start his job at East Carolina taking over for Trip Weaver. All right, we will talk a little bit of signing day coming up as well, uh, but let's lead with hoops. Casey Romaley, you were in Menji's Coliseum last night. Before we talk about the game, did you sing the national anthem with everybody else? I did not sing the national anthem with everybody else. It was actually a funny moment because it's me and Patrick Mason who works for, works for the reflector up there. It's just us up there. There's no one else. And... You know, it says, uh, what do they say, please stand up? It right. doesn't say, it says rise. Da, 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 da. Rise for the national anthem. Rise for the national anthem. So everyone stands up. We're standing up. It's quiet. It's quiet. And then How that, long did this go on? This is I would say probably a good 20 seconds, a good 20, 30 seconds. And then me and Patrick look at each other and we're like, what? And then someone at the bottom bowl started singing. And then everyone started singing. <laughs> and then there was this one guy that was close to me and Pat. He was so off, but he was the loudest one. But, I mean, it went from a just a awkward situation to an amazing situation. I, I was talking to Darren about it, and I felt bad for Katie. He said he could just see Katie freaking out. She was, like, hitting the button for it to play, and it just wouldn't play. But I look, felt so bad for her. But, but look, it was, it's not her fault. It was, it was also funny, though, because as soon as it ended, everyone was, like, cheering, and then it went quiet again. Because I don't think people knew if, like, the um, 
the starting lineup songs would go off, but as soon as it did, everyone was like, ah. So like we had music with starting lineup, but not actually. <laughs> so did we know what happened? Did the button just get stuck? Any idea? I don't know. I haven't talked to you. I haven't sources. talked to anyone in the marketing team. You've this got morning. sources yeah, in the marketing team. You should I know. know. Yeah, I have not talked to Barker today, so I'm not sure. We've got. <laughs> I can't read this on the air, but we've got an anonymous source that blames a player on the team for the anthem. Uh, we won't get into that. I can't can't confirm or deny who sent that in. All right. <laughs> We'll have to keep that one for off the air. Okay, um, East Carolina. Man, it was just uh, – we were talking before we went on the air, Kaysen. It was a boring game, which is a good thing because how many times have we seen East Carolina in these types of games? They end up beating Delaware State 79-50, to kind of coast-to-coast victory. I don't know if Delaware State ever led. They did not. So, yeah, wire-to-wire. And uh, pretty boring, but – I don't know. I'm excited about this game because there was no drama, and there doesn't need to be drama in this game. Mm-mm. And as Philip said when I walked in this morning or afternoon, he said um, we needed a boring victory, and I totally agree with that. And watching it last night from the tip, it was just a nonchalant victory. I mean, this is this is this is definitely wrong. But I'm gonna say like the only one that looked like they really wanted to be out there was was RJ. To be honest with you, because he was playing hard on both ends. Pretty sloppy start. Although I thought the defensive energy was pretty yeah. good at times. Yeah, Bobby. Everyone had very very sloppy passes. It was just kind of nonchalant because, look, I would say outside of Georgia Southern, this is the worst team I've seen in Minji's this year. Georgia's also, if you don't know, Georgia Southern hasn't won a game yet. They're zero twelve, which is pretty remarkable actually. I feel like they've played some closer games. They just can't get a win. And they've also. Played Tennessee, Michigan State, played some tough teams, but also that's tough. But yeah, just back on last night, I mean, Ezra Ezra did not look good at all, and I'm pretty sure he still finished with 10 points and 18 fouls per usual. Shout out, yeah. Even I checked the ECU stat broadcast at one point, they had him with six personal fouls, which I don't think was accurate, but he did foul out with five. Exactly, exactly. That's my point. (laughs) Welcome to the NBA, Ezra. Right. And then I'm uh, trying to think. Bobby was pretty nonchalant. He hucked up a couple threes. He hooked up one three at the buzzer and it went in. Um, Sear looked Sear looked really really good last night. He had six. Sear had six straight points last night. He had his own six zero run, and then he gets pulled out, which I don't understand why. I mean, I understand it's Delaware State, but look, played thirteen minutes. Yeah, the freshman's on a six zero run. Um, and then trying to think of anything else. Oh, and then. The Brand- big, Brandon had a game. Brandon, Brandon had a pretty good 13, game. 13, 15, four steals, four assists. Yeah, one of his threes was from uh, Clark, Le- Clark LeClaire. It was, I mean, from half court. And then the big story, Cam. Cam didn't look the best on offense, but defensively means even we're talking. It's just he has so much more flow. He has Cam has a very high basketball IQ, so he knows where to be at the right spots. Cam also knows how to rebound. He rebounds pretty well for a guard. Just as he had five rebounds, and and I also say this, I think this is huge for this team because all the guards rebound. How many rebounds RJ have? RJ had eight. RJ had eight rebounds. Cam had and Cam had five rebounds. That's huge. That's thirteen boards. Right That's there. thirteen boards between your two and your three spot. That's big. And also, just like I post on the board that uh, the quotes from Schwartz, Brandon Johnson, RJ Felton, just Cam is still getting his feet wet. He's still working, and then. The last thing that was said in the press conference by RJ, he like spoke up with the mic and was like, when Cam gets going, watch out. 
So let's get into that conversation. Uh, we do have a comment on YouTube with the question, Mags, uh, Jack Dover. Yeah, I, I led the show with a little bit about Damon Mags. We'll, we'll have uh, more basketball talk, and then Scott Rogers and Rob Maloney will join us in a bit. And then I'll kind of give some extra thoughts on the Mags who hire and signing day towards the end of the show uh, when it's just uh, me and Phillip. So, Casey, when you look at Cam Hayes, okay, so he's played two games. He played 24 minutes last night. He played 25 minutes against Florida. Definitely still trying to find his rhythm. First off, I, I said to you, I feel like he's trying to force the offense at times rather than let the game come to him. Like Some of his threes, you could tell he's just kind of antsy. Like He wants to see one go in. So I feel like once he hits one and kind of settles down, just lets the game come to him. Because defensively, he moves well, moves his feet well. He's got pretty good uh, you know, length for a guard. So... To me, the defense looks so much more fluid when he's on the the court right now. He's not getting beat off the dribble. He's in the right spot. So I think that's key for sure. Yeah, 100%. And that's what Schwartz alluded to last night. And Brandon Johnson alluded to it too last night. He was basically like, he's a great addition. Things move better. Things move well without him. He didn't say better. I think they move well, but we know they do move better. And then also just with the offense, I think that knowing, knowing Cam and knowing – NCAA basketball players that when you play a team like Delaware State, you're going to want to necessarily get yours and start hucking up some shots, which I have no problem with because look at the score. But, I mean, I definitely think that once we get into conference play, and I'll say East Tennessee State is never a bad team, so I think once we get into those games, he'll definitely be settled in and learn to get learn to get his spot. And his spot is catch on the wing, two dribbles, jab step, mid-ranger layup. Right. That's, that's his spot. He's never been an outstanding three-point shooter, but I will say this because I've watched him play for a while. When Cam Hayes is hot from three, he's going to make three to four. But when he's cold, he might not make one. But that's just all there's to it. And the, and, and and Schwartz said last night they're willing to live by that, and there's no concern about it. So the addition of Cam Hayes has had a direct impact on Quentin DeBunje. He played two minutes last night, didn't record a single stat. He played a handful of minutes at Florida didn't really do much there. So what is Quentin DeBunje's role going forward for ECU? Like, How much does this impact that, especially if the other guards are able to stay healthy? I mean, it's going to be hard for him to figure out, and I think that it's not just Cam coming back. I mean, if you look back at after the Georgia Southern game when he had 27 points, he I don't think he scored maybe 10 after that, and I think he kind of did it to himself. I mean, yes, Cam Hayes coming in is going to definitely take some minutes from you. But I also think that if you backed it up with more 15 or 20 game performances after that, you're not going to get your minutes taken. Shit. Jay, 27 points on November 20th, four points against Kennesaw State, 13 against George Mason, but then 7 5 3 0 0. Now, again, played five minutes for Florida, one minute against Delaware State. He scored seven points in 35 minutes against UNCW, five points in 18 minutes against uh, Maryland Eastern Shore, and three points in 27 minutes against South Carolina. The other thing, it's not that Cam is lighting it up right now, but I just think defensively, like we talked about, Quentin will make some great blocks, and he'll make some steals, but like – I think the consistency you get with Cam defensively right now, you'll take that over maybe the inconsistency of, of Quentin. Yeah, 100%. And I think that I think that also if you look at those minutes after the 27 points, his minutes kind of spiked and he was starting. 
But then once he kind of went seven, five, three, those minutes kind of got pulled. And also, it's also a strange coincidence that at the same time Cam comes in, so it's kind of just like a double whammy for Quentin. And I mean, look, and those stats goes to show that Quentin is a rhythm shooter. When he is on, he's on. When he's off, he's off. So he's kind of similar to Hayes. He has a little bit more size. But I, I think Hayes brings more off-the-bounce ability and probably more consistent defense. And, and, Hayes, and Hayes' passing ability helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Schwartz alluded to that last night, how when the starting five was on the floor, that that three-guard lineup, every single one of them can pass because Brand Johnson can pass her. Ezra's not a horrible passer. And then Bobby Pettiford is a great passer. So it allows you to spread the floor. And there were points last night where they went uh, around the world last night with the ball, moving it quick. So so this team, I feel like, has played better over the last handful of games, really, despite not maybe having the results to show for it, Kaysen. Like, you lose the, the two SEC games easily. Both of them really could have been wins. If you have Cam Hayes, you win that game. Florida, you know, you, you, see, you see them beat Michigan. And it's just it's kind of a weird team because you're only what six and seven and five seven right five. now, and it's not a good net. It's not a good record given the schedule. But like I feel like this team is pretty good. I, I don't know. Like am I am I off base there? No, you're definitely not off base. I think that with the addition of Cam, it also just it's definitely a huge breath of fresh air with this team because now as we're discussing right now we now have a little bit of a depth problem because you're because people are asking where it's not like Quentin's a terrible player it's not like like Quentin's a terrible player and people are asking about Baila yes he's not dressed he's hurt I don't know we'll never know but um I mean <laughs> now how these things we're still yeah. waiting to figure out about Corey Faison that I haven't heard his name in three weeks and I'm, I mean it's a it's a good problem to have and coaches want to have this problem around the country and I think that the future's bright with this team, and when Cam gets his feet back, this team's going to be exciting to watch. All right, let's get a break in. We'll have one more segment with Kaysen talking basketball, then we'll come uh, and join Scott Rogers and Rob Maloney live from Midgey's Coliseum around 12.30 to preview the women's game. Also get into signing day fallout, the hiring of Damon Magazoo as new safeties coach as he returns home, and much more. If you've got a question on YouTube or Facebook, or want to tweet at us, uh, let us know, and we'll get to it in our next segment. This is Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Ah-har, back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. Again, big news today. Damon Magazoo, former East Carolina All-Conference Safety, will return to Greenville to be the new safeties coach at ECU. He will be named officially probably in the coming days, but got word this morning from various sources that he is uh, taking that job. Uh, he spent the past four years at UNLV, will again coach in the bowl game. We'll have more on that discussion a little bit later in the program. Also more fallout from signing day. We'll have Scott Rogers and Rob Maloney join us from Menji's Coliseum to preview the women's game, which will be aired on 94.3 The Game. At 1 o'clock, they take on Charleston Southern. Kaysen Romaley is in studio. Philip Pilkington producing today. We are recapping the Pirates win 79-50 over Delaware State. And I wrote post game before uh, you, you even sent over the the uh, press conference, Kaysen, which you attended. Basically, my lead of the story was this is the perfect letdown scenario. You're, you're facing a bad team. I shouldn't say a bad team, but a team that you're that is overmatched. 
but you're you're about to go on holiday break, and so your heads may not be there, and so I don't know. Like you, you could have just rested on your laurels. All right, we played two good games against SEC. Maybe we didn't get the win, but we feel pretty good about ourselves. So I thought it did show that the coaching staff, whatever message they sent, got through to the guys yesterday. Yeah, for sure helped. And um, I'll I'll also say that I do think that part of me thinks some of them were asleep because they all did not play well. Ezra didn't have the best game, but I mean, you end up winning by twenty nine. And also, I want to make a point of emphasis. I mean, I want to make a point of emphasis. This is off topic, but when Steven Igo doesn't show up to the games, we have the greatest spread of all time. Last night the we media had, pregame food. Last night we had. Last night we had Philly cheesesteaks. What is going on? The Did time they... before he didn't come, we had barbecue, <laughs> beef, and chicken nachos. When Steven doesn't come, great things happen, including 29-point wins. I'm going to have to ask Scott and, and Coach Maloney what they had pregame today to figure I, out. If... I, think, I, think, I think I'm going to go because you're not going to be there because right. it's going to be great. Or are you going to be there? I'm not going to be okay, there. Okay, then I'm first for It's my wife's birthday, and so I'm definitely – I'm already in the doghouse from yesterday. So uh, Scott says the spread is very good. So we're gonna have to. Uh, we'll I'll have see to, you. I'll see you soon, Scott. <laughs> we'll have to check in and see what that spread is. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, we we got to figure that out. And I'm talking we as in ECU. Uh, do they know I'm not coming? So then they put away the put hot all, dogs. All the stops. Put away the hot dogs. The hamburger juice. <laughs> Which we had at a football game this year. All right, uh, East Carolina is seven and five. They've got one non-conference game remaining. Extended break here, December 29th. East Tennessee State will come to Minji's Coliseum, seven p.m. on that Friday. If you could get a win here, as I'm trying to stall while I look up what East Tennessee State has done in basketball this year, they are they are seven and four. They have won four games in a row. Lost at Elon by three. Lost at Butler by 36. Uh, beat Davidson. Lost at Cleveland State by two. Beat Alabama A&M. Lost at App State by 11. And then they have beat Jacksonville State, Tennessee Tech, uh, Tusculum, and UMKC. So they've beaten the teams you would expect them to beat and lost the teams you'd expect them to lose to. They play Utah State tomorrow and then have the break before ECU. All right, so ECU should be favored in this game. It won't be an easy one. East Tennessee State historically a solid program. If you get that win, though, 8-5 and five going in, into conference play, and we all know what awaits ECU there, um, how would you feel about non-conference if the Pirates get a W? I'd give it a C-plus grade. I'd say your win versus Wilmington was great, and last night's help by 29. But, I mean, look, USC Upstate still haunts me. It does. Northeast it really does. Still haunts me. Both of them are just. Let's get our USC upstate up. Update. You keep. You keep talking. They're horrible teams. And I mean, look. You're also right there with Florida. You're right there with South Carolina. And it's just. Mm. All right, Western Carolina's a good team. They beat Vanderbilt last night, two nights ago, in Vanderbilt. So they're not bad. Are we sure they're a good team? Or yeah. They just. I promise you, they have like a positive record. Western Carolina beat. They could have played three D two schools and have a positive record. Come on, Casey. No, 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 no. I, I'm serious. Steven, look at this schedule. I'm serious. <laughs> Western Carolina is not a bad team. I'm serious. Okay, I'm Western serious. Carolina is nine and two. They beat a horrible Notre Dame team. They beat 
Middle Tennessee, which is usually pretty good. They beat McNeese State, which is good. Shout out Will Wade. Uh, oof, yikes. Sorry, <laughs> Lost sorry, to Gardner-Webb in a high point. They beat Asheville. Great team, in my opinion. That's, that, that's a good team. And they beat Vanderbilt. They're not bad. I'm telling you. They're not bad, but they beat USC Upstate by 17. East Carolina lost to USC Upstate at home, and that was on the road at USC Upstate. The Western Carolina wins. So that one still bothers me. Now, Northeastern did play Virginia pretty decently the other day, right? Yeah, they were up like 12 with like 10 to go or something, but then they lost by like two, I think, or something like that. I know it was tied 50, 52 52 with a, with a minute to go. I, I know that for a don't fact. Don't quote me. I am 95% sure the final score is 56 54. Yes. You are correct. Correct. Okay. They they were right there at it. They could have beat them. They had control of that game, but Virginia does Virginia things. But yeah, back back on the non conference, I think that Northeastern is not a terrible team. Like, I can live with that loss. But they're bad. <laughs> they're bad. <laughs> They, we just have to 13? hope that Northeastern goes on a run in their conference because look, Drexel has already beat uh well Villanova. What's their uh Wilmington beat Kentucky and there's been like three or four other teams in that conference beat big name teams. So as long as they go out there and finish like win like two thirds of their conference games, it's okay. However, that ain't gonna happen. I just don't think they're that Northeastern good. is one sixty in the net, which is actually pretty respectable because East Carolina is 214 in the net. Wow. Where, ECU went from 248 to 214 by beating Delaware State. There had to be something else that happened. Yeah, there were some losses. Um, there was a lot of shakeup last night. UConn lost by 15 last night, so Seton Hall jumped. That has nothing to do with no, East no, Carolina movement. No, 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 no. I'm not just talking about that. I'm not just talking about that. I'm just talking about there were there was a lot of shakeup last night. So there was a lot of movement all all around. All hey, who's who, Casey? Just remind me, who was that team that won in Madison Square Garden last night? Man. <laughs> hey, your out, boys won too. Your boys won too. They beat St. Louis. Shout out Jerry McCain. He played yes, a, he, he played did. his best game last night. Good for them. I actually did not watch any of it because I was uh, in Menji's. How did uh how did how did Foster play? He played solid. Um, I think it was the best defensive game they've played all year. You know, to held the number eight team in the country to a lot of bad shots, a forcing good off, amount of turnovers. A pissed, pissed off, off. yeah, did that because they got you know wrecked yeah. in East Lansing yeah. over the weekend. So, um, yeah, Foster looked solid. Um, you could tell they were definitely missing Proctor, but I think all three of those guys stepped up, played well. Yeah. Filipowski still didn't finish great around the rims. Thing that Duke really needs to work on, but overall, it was a solid game. Fair enough. East Tennessee State is 209 in the net. And so that could be a game where ECU makes a small move and then you open with Florida Atlantic. The net uses weird uh, abbreviations. So, yeah, Florida Atlantic is eight in the net. And that will be ECU's opening conference game. That game will be on January 2nd. That will be our first day back. Any chance can the Pirates pull the upset in Boca? Yes, yes, because anything is possible because Seton Hall beat – in my opinion, the best team in the country, UConn, last night by 15 points. Seton Hall is not very good. But look, I just, just want to get back on this net thing. <laughs> yeah, I will live net take. I will live and die by this. And I know I've got argue. I can argue this all day. And people argue me. Yes, I know it is end all be all in the tournament once you go or you're seeding. But look, it is just the dumbest thing <laughs> in the world. I hate it. If you're, if you're, okay. I mean, do you like Ken Palm better? I hate them all. Okay. ACU should not jump from 248 to 214 because they beat Delaware State by 29. Last, I don't care whatever happened last night. 
this this is always stuck in my head because I remember it because I remember talking to I remember talking to basketball players that played on the floor when they when NC State beat Boston College last year by 37 points they dropped four points in the net 37 points and as soon as I found that I was like okay this is just the most bogus thing ever and also and also you can look it up Steve Forbes for Wake Forest went on this rant one time after post game saying if you're not in if if you're not in the Big 12 you're not made the tournament and then West Virginia made the tournament at like 16 and 13 because they were like 12 in the net and got waxed their first round first game of the tournament you know bringing that point up with you talking about state dropping <laughs> I'm sorry, I remember one day this is this is ECU related we were in the baseball press box and we were playing some garbage team and uh, Chip Welsh was like yes by winning this game we lose five points in the yes. net. Like yes. we would be better off just like saying the whole yes. team has COVID and yeah, not showing up. Are flawed and then teams. and then West and then West Virginia and Oklahoma will play Mary and the Sisters of the Blind and go up eighty nine spots in the net. It's ridiculous. It makes me so. I'm, I'm, I, it infuriates me. Kaysen is not a net guy. What type I, of guy are you? An eye test. If guy? the ball goes in the hoop. You're a good team. That's what That's Ned he I likes. He likes see. the ball going through the I net. I like the actual net, not the fake <laughs> net. Gosh, she's so mad. All right, this is as heated as Kaysen has ever been. We're gonna have to start bringing up the net a lot more. East Carolina, final thing here before a break, and then we'll get with Scott Rogers and Rob Maloney. Uh, Florida Atlantic on January second. Tulsa at home on January seventh. Temple at home. On the road, excuse me, on January 10th, ECU has never won in Philly, and then SMU on January 13th. That that will be the first four conference games. Is two and two the hope there, or do you? I think you go. Th- I think you can go three and one. Tulsa is not great, but they're not bad. Temple is bad, and then SM, SMU at home will be tough. SMU is much improved. They're way better than I thought. They beat someone. They hung with someone well the other day. They're they're a good team. Nil money. NIL money. And then, so I would, the floor is two and two, ceiling's four and oh, of course, but I'd say three and one, my prediction. ECU basketball on the road. The floor is always. That's a bad Temple low. team. That's a bad Temple team. Hey, it was Arizona State that SMU hung with, by the way, and Arizona State got wrecked last night. Did, they did, lost to Northwestern by, well, it ended up only being 19, but they were down like 30 something to 13 at halftime. Did SMU play Houston? My phone's being dumb. Um, Sorry. They play, they've play. they lost to Dayton, Wisconsin, Texas A&M by 13. They have not played Houston. They beat Florida State, but Florida State stinks. What was that Wisconsin score? 69-61. Yeah. Yeah. It was that game watched with and they, and they kept that one close for a good bit, and Wisconsin's a good team. Okay. So they're not terrible, but they're not great. They're better than they were last year, 110%. Yeah. Last year they were the bottom next to Tulsa. They beat Southwest Assemblies of God by only 19. Shout That's the first game of the season. Shout out Southwest. Where does uh, Southwest Assemblies of God rank in the NAIA net? <laughs> I don't know. It's a Kaysen question. He's your net expert. <laughs> don't ask me about no net. All right. Kaysen, we appreciate it, man. Hopefully you uh, rest up over the holidays and don't look at the net rankings at all so you can do I'm not gonna, Christmas break. You don't have to worry about that. I'm not going to look at that. I'll be home. I'll be back on the 29th for some East Tennessee State basketball. Going this this weekend, I'm going to NC State versus Detroit Mercy. Detroit Mercy's 0-12. So, going so to go you've seen two terrible there. basketball teams between seen Detroit two Mercy two and teams. Georgia Southern. Yeah. They need to play each other in the toilet bowl. 
For real. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll be rejoined by Scott Rogers, Rob Maloney, live from Menji's Coliseum. We'll preview the women's game, which we will carry on 94-3 the game as they take on Charleston Southern. More on that after the break. This is Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back in to Hoist the Colors on this Thursday edition of the show. We'll have some more fallout from National Signing Day. Coming up in a little bit, also talk about the Damon Magazoo hire as well to close the show. But right now, we're going to go... Out to Menji's Coliseum, 94-3 the game. We'll broadcast the women's basketball game between East Carolina and uh, their opponent today, Charleston Southern, at 1 o'clock. And Scott Rogers, Rob Maloney on the call. Scooter, how's it? how is the scene at Menji's Coliseum as you guys approach tip-off? The uh, crowd is filing in for this early afternoon tip. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It's a chance for East Carolina to win their fifth game in a row after – really putting together their first or first big performance or best performance, I should say, of the year since their first two wins of the season. They went through that rough stretch around Thanksgiving where they lost three in a row. But lately here, they've won four in a row. And like I said, Monday night was honestly the best they've played since those first two wins of the year. And so if they can win that fifth game tonight, it'd be huge heading into the number one team in the country, South Carolina, next week. Coach Maloney, longtime coach at D.H. Conley and I wanted to get your take on this, uh, Rob, as you look at ECU. They're playing their second game in four days, clearly, but then they they were coming off a two-week break. And as a coach, how hard is it to keep your team fresh during that break uh, but also ready to go and then turn around quickly and play play this game right before Christmas? So kind of a weird schedule here. How do you think Kim and Neal is handling it? Oh, I'm sure she's trying to keep things as normal as possible. And, uh, you know, that's always a good time when you have a little bit of a break. She's probably making some modifications, uh, looking at the, you know, it's a reflection period. So you kind of modify maybe some things where you're, you might have some shortcomings in some areas. Maybe you tweak some things. And then, um, you know, it's like Scooter was saying a little while ago, was saying a little while ago, it gives you time to kind of get ready before you hit a big South Carolina team. And uh, maybe you have some new tricks up your sleeve. Scott Rogers, Rob Maloney on the call today. ECU women's basketball hosting Charleston Southern. Again, this will tip off at 1 o'clock. We'll carry it on 94-3 the game. So, Scott, what do you feel like went right in the 65-44 win over George Mason that the, maybe the Lady Pirates have been struggling with early on in the season? And what, what has led to this four-game winning streak? One thing, you know, when you look at the beginning of this four-game winning streak, which that was Maryland, Eastern Shore, and Coppin State, those names weren't necessarily dominated by East Carolina. In fact, they were losing in part of those games. But last or on Monday night, I should say, against George Mason, really they just put together a complete performance. And a big game from Amaya Joyner helped that. She had 27 points that game. She had double-digit rebounds. And when Amaya Joyner is playing her best with that size that she has in the paint, that helps this team so much. And, of course, you've got Janae McNeil still who goes out there and gets close to 20 points every single game with her scoring. And, in fact, today she is nine points from 1,000 in her career. So it could be a milestone day for Janae McNeil. But, yeah, Monday night certainly was a complete performance for East Carolina, and that's one thing that they haven't necessarily had since the beginning of the year. When they played Elon in that very first game of the year, USC Upstate as well, they were clicking on all cylinders. And, Heading into this win streak that they've had, they weren't doing that. When they went down to the Bahamas and played Ohio State and Seton Hall, they weren't coming close to playing their best basketball. And 
now that they're in the later stretch of this win streak, they certainly have been. That's one thing that helped Monday night. Coach Maloney, as Scooter mentioned, Amaya Joyner coming off just a, a monster game in the win over George Mason and uh, 16 rebounds, 27 points, six blocks, and she's the local product from Farmville Central. And sophomore year, still a little bit up and down at times this year, but it seems like when her emotions are in check, she can play at such a high level. So h- how do you feel like uh, when you have an emotional player like that, how do you try to handle uh, that player, keep them even kill, even when things are going tough through adversity to kind of play their best night in, night out? You know, and that's a tough question to answer from a coaching standpoint. But I think the biggest thing is you you have to be consistent with how you handle those those emotions because that passionate athlete you want all of your athletes to, to have a high level of passion at the same time. You got to be able to keep your composure. And I you know I noticed last year, last season, uh, from the beginning, I saw that Coach McNeil really worked hard with her. Certain points of the game where maybe she was starting to run a little high, a little hot. Uh, you know, you'd see a reeler in, bring her in, and then sometimes you have to let them make mistakes and try to find a way to work through them. I think this uh, uh, Charleston Southern game is going to really give an opportunity for her to be able to work through some of those things. Um, it is a long maturation process, but in all honesty, Stephen, from a year ago to where she is today, uh, Maya's shown a lot of growth, and uh, there's no doubt, you know, as you said, the impact she makes uh, on the offensive end, the defensive end. Um, she's only going to get better and better. So uh, whatever Coach McNeil's doing, it is definitely working to date. Scott Rogers, uh, when you look at this game, Charleston Southern comes in struggling a little bit, 2-9 and nine on the season. East Carolina, as we talked about, on a winning streak. What does Charleston Southern have to do, if, if they can do, uh, something to, to stick around and make this thing interesting today? The one thing they would have to do is score. They're uh, averaging 58 points a game, which – Combine that with Kim McNeil's defense, it's certainly going to be tough for them today. And this is a Charleston Southern team that has struggled, and not necessarily this year. It's been for the past couple years. Their head coach, Calerius White, comes in with a 9-61 and career record, and this team was picked to finish last in the Big South this year. And so they've got a lot to prove coming into here. But they, they've only won two games this year against bad opponents. They have lost three in a row coming into today, and as I said, Averaging only about 58 points a game. This team does not score a lot. They don't have, you know, really, when you look at their players overall, they don't have anything that sticks out to you in terms of scoring. And so if East Carolina can, you know, keep on that defensive front and do what they do defensively, they should have no issue with Charleston Southern today. Coach Maloney and, uh, you know, Mike Schwartz talked about it last night. These games, though, they can be scary. You got Christmas break coming up. We alluded to it. South Carolina waits on December 30th. So, you know, you could have a look look ahead situation here. Charleston Southern may be coming in as the underdog. So, uh, early on, we should know if the Pirates are focused or not and how important it will be for them to maybe uh, put their foot on the gas early and kind of assert their, 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 their potential in this one. I, look, I could not agree more. And you were asking about the, the layoff earlier. And you talk about it, you know, you've had exams during that time period. Now the uh, student body's gone. You know, everybody's gone home for the holidays, so you don't have probably as many, you know, student fans as you normally would. So you have to be a self-starting team, as you already said. And, I'm, you know, I was looking, preparing for the game, looking at a number of the stats, and you look at this this Charleston Southern team, and their, their turnover margin is at a negative 5.9, where East Carolina is at a plus 9.7. The reason I bring that to you is, you know, numbers don't lie. And I think Coach McNeil will do exactly what you said, put her foot on the pedal, 
Uh, you'll see a lot of defensive pressure to try to cause the Charleston Southern team into a high turnover rate. And so you'll see the East Carolina Pirates try to turn those transitions, you know, the turnover transition buckets to create that instant energy. We got Scott Rogers and Rob Maloney on the call. A few more things for you, gentlemen, while I got you here. Uh, I want to ask Rob about the Steelers falling apart. We'll do that in a little bit because uh, my Broncos are in the AFC playoff mix as well a little bit. Um, but, uh, right. Scott, when you look at baseball season coming up, man, the schedule was just announced here uh, re in recent weeks. you obviously be on the call once again on February 16th when Cliff Galvin's team opens the season versus Ryder. What stands out about this baseball season schedule when you look at it? There's a lot of good things, you know. You obviously have your your typicals out there with your in-state opponents, especially the midweeks with UNCW. You have Campbell on there. Of course, you have the North Carolina series. But when you look at some of those other teams on the non-conference side, of course, you have Ryder to start the year. You have Columbia. You have good programs coming in here non-conference wise. And sometimes average fan might look at that and say, okay, you got an Ivy League team and you've got somebody named Ryder on your schedule. Well, this is a Ryder team that went into Coastal Carolina last year and won the regional last year. You had a Columbia team who is traditionally one of the best in the Ivy League every single year. And, of course, that's not even mentioning the programs you have in the LeClaire Classic this year with Purdue, Cal State Fullerton, and southeastern Louisiana. Cal State Fullerton now with Jason Dietrich in charge out there. He has certainly brought that program back to where it has been in the past. Southeastern Louisiana has always been a solid program. Nat Reiser, who just got fired from there, is now at Memphis. But that's a program that's always been good in the past, and Purdue has always been a solid program in the Big Ten as well. And so non-conference-wise, this schedule is quietly a very good schedule for East Carolina. All right, Coach Maloney, what's going on with the Steelers, man? Losses to the Cardinals, to the Patriots, to the Colts. Uh, they they still are mathematically alive, as are my Denver Broncos in this wild AFC playoff mix, but it's looking pretty uh, pretty bleak, right? Pretty dim. I, I think right now they're probably more preparing for the draft than they are the playoffs, that's for sure. Uh, you know, you, you were talking about Amaya Joyner uh, and, and, you know, handling the emotions, and I look at, Pittsburgh and and looking at people like uh, the receiver like Pickens and uh, you see Pickens uh, he seems to be a completely different player than he was a year ago young uh, maybe sometimes lets his emotions get the best of him and if you're not careful on any level the, that type of attitude can simply spread in uh, throughout a, a locker room and it can take the life and the energy out of a team and so uh, things are not looking up for the Steelers right now and I think that you know if anybody can solve it Mike Tomlin can but, you know, there's a lot of speculation whether this might be his last year in Pittsburgh. I, I certainly hope not. I'm, I'm not a big cancel guy. I don't think that uh, coaches on any level just suddenly forget how to coach. Uh, but it might be time for a reset with a lot of the personnel moving forward, though. He is Rob Maloney and also Scott Rogers. They'll be on the call at 1 o'clock from Menji's Coliseum. Appreciate it, guys, and have a good call. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. Absolutely. There they are, Scott Rogers and Rob Maloney. They're about to have the anthem at Menchie's Coliseum, so we'll let them go get ready for the game. Again, we'll have coverage taking you up to tip-off at 1 o'clock as the 6-3 and three East Carolina Pirates winners of four straights under Kim McNeil take on Charleston Southern 2-9. It'll be one of a handful of games we carry live on Radio 94.3 The Game this year. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We will talk signing day fallout. I'll give my final thoughts on what East Carolina was able to accomplish on Wednesday's National Signing Day. We'll also get more into the hiring of Damon Magazoo. 
what that means for East Carolina's defensive coaching staff on the football gridiron. We'll be right back on Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the studio. Final segment here. Again, we uh, are live on YouTube, Facebook. If you got a question, let us know. We'll get to a couple of those in a second. Uh, Scott Rogers, Rob Maloney are inside Menchie's Coliseum. They'll have the call for ECU women's basketball 94-3 the game as they take on Charleston Southern at 1 o'clock. We just previewed the game with those guys. We talked to Casey Romaley earlier recapping ECU's win over Delaware State inside Menchie's last night. So the big news today, Damon Magazoo is hired as the new safeties coach at East Carolina, taking the place of Trip Weaver, who's on his way to be the D.C. at Austin P. Robert on YouTube says, any idea on who led Blake Carroll slash Mike Houston to Magazoo? Trip Weaver himself, question mark, no other real connection there. I just think from talking with people, and you're right, Mike Houston and Blake Carroll don't really know Damon Magazoo. They know of him just based on the Trip Weaver connection because Trip was a GA here when Magazoo was a player under Ruff McNeil. So they had been tied together. I'm sure Trip and Magazoo talked through this process. So you did have that connection. And just the amount of people that brought up Damon Magazoo's name when ECU had a safeties coach opening. It, it seemed like it would be kind of a, a an ideal fit. Now, Damon Magsu in a great position at UNLV. They just went 9-4. and four, play, uh, They played in the bowl game on the 26th. They played for a Mountain West championship against Boise. So he could have stayed there and uh, you know maybe stayed in a good situation there. But anytime you have a chance to, to return to your alma mater, it's a special opportunity. And, and the hire, from a you know publicity standpoint, already getting rave reviews. You've got former players... Uh, former, you know, people who even people who were at Oklahoma when Magazoo was a GA under Lincoln Riley there, uh, very high on this hire. So uh, I think it's a a good fit. He'll have to learn the defense under Blake Carroll. That will be the biggest adjustment. But from a from an attitude, recruiting, energy perspective, I think it's a a, a perfect hire for East Carolina. You needed an ECU guy on staff. You lost Trip. It was an ECU alum. Donnie Kirkpatrick, he was an alum, but he was an ECU guy. Same with Shankweiler in past years. So, to me, you needed an ECU guy, and Damon Magazoo kind of fits that. Uh, Philip, I know we were talking off the air. Damon Magazoo was before your time, but it, it seems like Mike Houston's kind of winning the offseason. He's doing everything he can to re-energize the fan base. We'll see how it looks when the when the season gets here, but from a recruiting transfer perspective and from a coaching hire perspective I think he's doing a heck of a job yeah he is and I you know I think it's really key what you brought up there with Magazoo and his relationship with Trip Weaver because not that Trip wouldn't help the new safeties coach regardless learn some things but uh, obviously they already have that communication you know just kind of knowing each other knowing how each other thinks so I think it could be easy for Trip to kind of give uh, you know Damon some tips there which will be great obviously Magazoo didn't play under Blake Harrell um, so that's you know, kind of on that, and then you know your point about winning the offseason. I definitely agree. Um, this fan base is; it would be very easy to be down after a two and ten season. But I think everything that Coach Houston's done is has the Pirates fans very optimistic for the twenty twenty four campaign. Look, yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about winning games, and you got to show up and win next year. But still, I think this is going to help the season ticket numbers, the team boneyard support, and everything that we need to keep this national brand that we're trying to. Or, 
help us grow our national brand, I should say, and, and keep Pirate Nation what it really is. So, um, yeah, I love it. I think it's been a great offseason so far. Obviously, there's still some work to get done in the uh, as far as recruits in the portal. I think there's still – I don't think we're quite to 85 scholarships yet. But uh, I'm excited to, you know, talk to Coach Houston through spring ball and see how everybody's gelling because spring ball really is just right around the corner. Not trying to rush basketball season by any means. But, um, yeah, I, I really do enjoy it or have enjoyed what's happened this offseason. And I think everybody I've talked to in Pirate Nation is very optimistic. It's amazing the number of people looking at the board on hoistacolors.net who were just, I'm done. I'm never, I'm never coming to another ECU game again. And now they're like, dang it, I'm back in. I'm all in. And look, this is what the offseason does, man. We go through it with our professional teams every year. Like, I'm sure you hate life as a Panthers fan right now, Phillip, but as soon as they sign or trade for somebody or make a draft pick, obviously it won't be a first-rounder, uh, unfortunately. But when that happens – you're going to get reeled back in because the offseason is the best part of sports because everybody has hope, right? Uh, I guess they do, but I have a bad feeling I'm going to be like the Redskin Commander football fans that won't have any hope till Dan Snyder went by the wayside, and I might be feeling the same way with Tepper. But uh, maybe we can talk about the Red Sox. Maybe that'd be a better analogy. I'm, you know, it was a <laughs> rough enough. year last year. Maybe they'll make a, a signing that'll, that'll get me because, yeah, I don't know about the Panthers. Uh, a few more things before we get out of here. Signing day, of course, was yesterday. East Carolina signed 20 players to letters of intent, 18 high school players, two junior college players, according to the 24-7 sports composite rankings, which you know compiles on three ESPN rivals and 24-7 sports own evaluation. ECU finished 65th nationally in the composite in the original rankings. Uh, again, 20 players, basically all of them three stars. The one player who did not sign, Damari Williams, out of Smoky Mountain High School, he did not sign due to academic reasons, just not at a point right now where he will qualify for school. So look for East Carolina to potentially place him at a junior college or prep school or help him with that process. Really talented player. Uh, again, kind of a DB receiver type, uh, 6'2", 180, good size. And so if he can you know, get that in order, he could find his way back here down the line. But just a, a, another – Drama-free day for the most part. I mean, everything that we expected to happen, happened. I wrote about it on Hoist of Colors last night, kind of how the class came together. And it's kind of amazing you had a 2-8 and eight or 2-10 and 10 season and didn't really have anybody decommit after the season despite other programs trying to poach your players. So I think that says a lot about the coaching staff, the culture, uh, their recruiting efforts, making the changes that Mike Houston made on his staff – made a, a, a big impact on that as well, especially from an offensive perspective. They're signing 12 offensive players, and to keep all those committed and add after the office, offensive season they had, I think that says a lot as well. So a successful signing day for East Carolina. All right, Friday's show, we'll have Joe Sampson on. We'll make our weekly picks. We'll get his take on the Magazoo hiring and signing day and more. Again, live game coverage from Minji's Coliseum, EC Women's Basketball hosting Charleston Southern. Here in a few minutes, 1 o'clock tip-off, Scott Rogers and Rob Maloney will be on the call from Minji's Coliseum. We pitch it to them, and we'll talk to you Friday on HTC. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays.